The next earthly movement is the Great Apostasy, which is active today. The apostasy will lead up to the rapture when Christ will gather his bride, indwelt Christians, and take them to heaven. After the rapture, there will be a seven-year global reign, led by the Antichrist. The last half of this tribulation is called the Great Tribulation. The first half will be fake peace. The second half will be torturous. When the tribulation concludes, Jesus will return with his bride, the church, and establish his earthly kingdom, which will last 1,000 years. And it's called the Great White Throne of Judgment. The return of Christ to earth between the tribulation and the reign of Jesus is called the second coming. So here's basically what we have to look forward to. During the apostasy, multitudes will renounce their faith in Christ. At the rapture, Jesus will call forth his believers. At the second coming, he will return with his bride the saints. At the rapture, Jesus will not return to earth. At the second coming, he will return to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, right smack dab in that country that everyone seems to make a big fuss about, Israel. From there, he will begin his earthly 1,000-year reign. At the rapture, Jesus embraces his bride, in the air. At the second coming, he will bring judgment for those who have rejected him. Finally, the rapture will happen once God accomplishes his mission with the apostasy. The second coming will occur seven years from that moment. No human or angel knows the time stamp of the rapture. However, in Matthew 24, Jesus gives us warning signs of the second coming. While the Father alone knows the time, we know his return is approaching as we see the six signs he mentions in Matthew 24. These signs will unfold shortly before and during the tribulation. We see each of them manifesting in our culture and churches today. So what does all this have to do with Daniel being in the lion's den? Just as Nebuchadnezzar's seven years of roaming the earth as a beast symbolize the seven-year reign of the Antichrist, Daniel's time in the den represents the authentic Christians being untouched by the wrath of the Antichrist. Let's take a closer view of this prophetic event. Welcome to number 16, Daniel in the Lion's Den. Looking back on the days of Nimrod as he was building a tower to rise up to curse God, so were the days of Nebuchadnezzar bringing the world, as he knew it, under the power of one man. After Babylon fell, the Persian Empire did the same, 
and Alexander the Great's Greek Empire attempted the same thing. Then came Rome, who enslaved all countries unto the power of the Caesars. Through these empirical governments, Satan successfully manifested a one-world governing force. However, not one of them exalted God. Today we are between the global reign of Rome and the soon-expected Antichrist, which is the feet and the toes of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. As for our study in the book of Daniel, we are to the point of the days following the fall of Babylon. The Persian Empire, or the Age of the Gentiles, has begun. The first king of this empire is Darius, who decided to keep Daniel in the third highest position of the empire, which created a boatload of jealousy by the other supervisors. Reviewing our scriptures, remember to study the entire chapter of 6, but today we're going to focus on verses 14 through 16. It says, Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. Now let's look at the Persian Empire. The empire was established in 559 B.C. It encompassed the areas of modern-day Iran, Egypt, Turkey, parts of Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Their bloodline was directly connected to the illegitimate son of Abraham, Ishmael. Today that bloodline is called Islamic. The empire emerged under the leadership of Cyrus II who also conquered the Median Empire, ruled by his grandfather. Cyrus was known as a kind king. However, history notes that he was ruthless in battle until his captors were secured. Then he offered kindness. Toward the end of Cyrus's rule, he chose a relative, Darius, to take his place. Darius was a vicious warrior, and he was likened to Nebuchadnezzar, a brilliant organizer. Unlike other emperors, he established the first system of providences and governors, and even a postal system to develop a seamless system of communications for the governors to communicate with one another. Through this system, he was able to bring Babylon to an end. Darius moved his family to Old Babylon to begin his rule in 538 B.C. 
Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire, which activated the third section of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Darius's son, Exorus, took up the mantle after Darius passed. He attempted to take down the growing Greek Empire, but failed. He was a selfish, money-hungry king, ultimately depleting the royal treasury, making the Persian Empire easy to conquer. Thus far, the sons of great kings imploded their father's kingdoms. Not one of the sons carried the legacy of their father's into their own kingdoms. From what we can see in biblical history, the children of great leaders tend to be too spoiled to lead. Let's talk about the Persian jealousy. From the first day of Darius's rule in what was Babylon, Darius was impressed with the courage and forthrightness of Daniel. He decided to keep Daniel in play as his chief advisor, which led to a revolt from the king's satraps, or princes. There were 120 princes due to the 120 providences established by Darius. There were three commissioners supervising the princes, which Daniel was one of them. King Darius was contemplating appointing Daniel as the chief among the commissioners. An appointment like that would have placed Daniel second in charge of the Persian Empire, an idea that did not sit well with the other two commissioners. The commissioners met with the princes to find a way to block this possible promotion. They found no accusations against Daniel, However, there was a big problem. Daniel was a faithful servant to the king, and he was just as faithful to the king as he was to his God. One of the commissioners came up with the idea that each thought would certainly bring death to Daniel. They manipulated the king to sign a law that anyone who petitioned a god or man outside of the king for 30 days would be cast into the lion's den. The king signed the injunction by these deceivers, stroking the king's pride without counting the cost. Looking at Daniel's loyalty to God was tested. When Daniel heard the injunction was signed, as the commissioners predicted, Daniel went to his home and began praying to the God of the Hebrews. Within moments, the commissioner stormed into the room with guards and pronounced Daniel had broken the law of the king. They quickly came before the king, announcing Daniel had broken this injunction. The king realized the commissioners had tricked him into signing this fabricated injunction. Darius became distressed and began thinking of ways to deliver Daniel from the consequences. However, the men reminded the king that any law broken by the Persians must be held to the agreed sentencing. Plus, once a king signs a law into action, 
Even a king cannot break the established law. Darius knew he was trapped and then ordered Daniel to be tossed into the lion's den. Talking about Darius's respect for Daniel's God, before Daniel was tossed into the den of the lions, the king said, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. This single statement provided biblical proof that the relationship between Daniel and Darius was one of respect and friendship. It also revealed that the king had faith in Daniel's God, to whatever degree. Here's a little special note. In those days, a lion's den was a tomb, which the entrance was covered by a stone, which you'll find in verse 17 of our passage. The experience of Daniel being in this tomb without being overpowered by the lions is the prophetic illustration of Jesus entering the tomb, yet coming out through a resurrected life. The king honored his law, cast Daniel into the den, had soldiers cover the entrance with a stone, sealed it with the signet, then waited to see what Daniel's God would do. Grieved and still distressed, the king returned to his palace, fasted until morning, hosting no entertainment, and wrestled through the night. At dawn the next day, he quickly returned to the tomb of the lions. Before he arrived at the den, he cried out to Daniel with a troubled voice and said, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Can you imagine starving lions for seven days, tossing a man into their den, and the next morning walking out of the den untouched by these feasting beasts? Honestly, it's impossible to escape such conditions. Daniel did. This is why it is noted in biblical history as one of the greatest miracles performed by God. In conclusion, just when you thought that things couldn't get any worse for Daniel, the unbelievable happened. The betrayal the king and Daniel experienced was like no other. Can you imagine your top two advisors turning on their king? Not only that, to manipulate events to kill the king's closest companion? The consequences of this horrid act of betrayal ended in the death of those who conjured such deception. To know that the king did not send his officers to check on the status of Daniel but he himself made a beeline path to check on his faithful friend. This is evidence of the reward of an advisor being faithful, loyal, and committed to the life of the one he serves. Coming up next, number 17, Daniel resurrects from the den. Daniel was honored by God to be the Old Testament figure to demonstrate the coming tomb experience of Jesus Christ. 
as in the case of Jesus, when the stone was rolled away from the entrance of the lion's den, the king witnessed something beyond human expectations. Daniel was sitting peacefully when the king searched to see the results of Daniel's God. It was a miracle. It was a miracle that illustrated another tomb experience that would provide salvation to the world. While the ages to come made use of this story in a lighthearted way, this event was most likely the greatest of all Old Testament miracles. God's prophet was innocent. He had not sinned against either God or the king. He was under the mighty protective hand of God, and the enemy could not touch him. Daniel was indeed the Christ image of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the tomb of Satan. How glorious is that? Thank you for joining us today. We know that the prophetic details that we are unfolding are difficult for many people first to accept and many times to understand. But as we move forward in the book of Daniel, we will be very precise and careful to make sure that it's presented in a way that is easy for you to understand. It's a blessing to us to know that you picked our podcast. We know that you have many choices out there, so picking our podcast is an honor. Until next time...